want to talk to you about a subject. I, I feel something like Jude uh, this morning, uh, the Apostle Jude. Uh, he talked about writing to the church, and he said, I was going to write about the common salvation. But then he said, uh, I looked around, saw what was happening in the world, and uh, the Lord directed them to speak about something else. I feel kind of like that this morning when I, Pastor Paul asked me to, to speak today. I, uh, I thought about there was a, a sermon I had on my heart uh, called The Approaching Darkness. The Approaching Darkness, an important thing to contemplate. The darkness is approaching. And uh, I thought I'd speak of that, but then the Lord directed me back to a sermon that I preached a little while ago in a church that was celebrating uh, their anniversary in their community. And uh, the Lord laid this word upon my heart, and he directed me back to it. Uh, and the more I prayed and reflected on it, the more I felt this was the way the Lord wanted me to go. Uh, so turn in your Bibles or on your uh, uh, electrical gimmicks and, and uh, look at the Word of God. Uh, Jude, the Apostle Jude writes, it's uh, the second last book in the Bible, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the common, the salvation, King James Version says common salvation, about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the faith. I pray that the Holy Spirit will guide us. Lord, I pray that you will seal our lips. You will give us clarity of mind that we may speak only that which you would have spoken to this people this morning. We commit ourselves to you and ask you to guide us and minister through us and speak to your church this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The faith is the body of truth entrusted to the apostles by the Lord Jesus Christ, referred to in the New Testament as the doctrine of Christ, Hebrews chapter 6 and is also referred to in the Acts of the Apostles as the Apostles' Doctrine, for it was passed along to them firsthand by the Lord Jesus, and the Bible says that the early church were steadfast in the Apostles' Doctrine. The faith, undergirding everything that we are and everything that we should be as a church, should be the faith, that body of truth, that's committed to the church, that the church should guard and be careful about, that everything is in sync with the teaching of the Word of God, the body of truth passed on to the church by the Lord Jesus. That faith has been what millions of people have died for and what people today 
millions of them are still dying for, the faith that was once and for all given to the church. To undergird the importance of that subject this morning, I give you some scriptures from the New Testament. We are told in Acts 14 and 22 that we should continue in the faith. The church should be established in the faith, Acts 16. Romans 1 and 5, the church should be obedient to the faith. Romans 14 and 1, Peter, uh, I'm sorry, refers to those that are weak in the faith. Uh, 2 Corinthians 16 and 13, we are told to stand fast in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13 tells us we are to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith, if we are living by the faith. Galatians 1 and 23, Paul says he preached the faith. Galatians 2 and 20, Paul says he lived by the faith. What are you living by this morning? Are you living by your feelings? Are you living by uh, the good times that you go through? Or are you living by the faith that was delivered uh, to the saint? We are told that we are to continue in the faith in Colossians 1 and 23. Colossians 2 and 7, we are to be established in the faith. 2 Timothy 14 and 7, Paul says just before he's about to die for the faith, he says, I have kept the faith. Nothing greater you could have to reflect on as you near the end of your life than to know that you have kept the faith. 1 Timothy 4 and 1 says a warning to us in latter times, there shall be many that shall depart from the faith. A departure from the faith will be a mark of the last days. Departure from the faith. And 1 Timothy 6 and 10 says uh, that even then some adhered uh, and turned aside from the faith. Peter tells us to overcome the devil, we are to resist him steadfast in the faith. Ephesians 4 and 5 tells us there is only one faith. There are not many faiths, my friend. There is but one faith that was delivered unto the church. And we need to make sure that we live by that faith. Hebrews 12 and 2 tells us that Jesus is the author of and the finisher of our faith. Now this morning, I have seven points that I want to bring to you. Each one of them are seven sermons in themselves about the faith. But I want to highlight it and cram it this morning so that you will get the gist of what the faith is about. And so Jude is writing, and he says, I want you to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Oh, small pulpits. I can't stand them. Anyways, and he says, so he's talking about the importance of it. Jude writes the shortest portion of the scripture, by the way. He is the earthly brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and he gives us this short portion of scripture. But his subject is of ultimate importance. His introduction is unique, as we've already covered. He was going to write about something else, but felt prompted and urged to write about the faith. 
Now, in Jude's time, the, apostol the apostolic era of Christianity is winding down. Church is very young. Uh, maybe a little more than 50 years the church has been going. And already James has seen things coming into the church under the umbrella of Christianity that he is concerned about. The same things that Jesus would rebuke the church for later in the letters to the church in the book of Revelation. I'll just run through some things that James saw. Verse 4, immoral and godless men uh, and Christ-denying people had infiltrated and were embedded in the umbrella of Christianity, says. And the grace of God was being used as a covering for the sin of immorality. Sound familiar? Because the grace of God is so abundant, we can do what we like, because God will supply the grace to overcome it. That is not the faith, my friend. Yes, grace is awesome and wonderful, but not a snow job for sin. God wants us to get rid of our sin, and he will give us the grace to overcome sin. Verse 5 and 7, he says, there's a repeat of history similar to the rebellion against God by angels in the first place, and then by Israel in the wilderness, and by Sodom and Gomorrah. A repeat of history, a rebellion against the authority of God. Verse 8 and 9, a rejection of authority both earthly and heavenly. No respect for authority. Have you noticed it? There's no longer any respect for authority, either God or man. Verse 11, there were those like Cain rejecting God's covering for sin, and like Balaam using prophecy for profit. Using prophecy for profit. Turn on your TV and watch some of the, the evangelical programs or the charismatic programs using prophecy for profit. Verse 12 and 13, he says, selfish shepherds feeding only themselves without shame, without substance or foundation, being blown along with every wind like trees without fruit. If we are not keepers of the faith, if we are not solid in guarding the faith, that's what we will be like, drift along, running about after every wind and every fad, but the faith will keep us solid if we live like it, live by it. The faith is what will hold us. The faith is the shining light that has been shining in the darkness of this world through the centuries. So I want to highlight a few things, because the answer that Jude gives us for those kind of condition, conditions is to contend for the faith. What are we to do? What is the church to do? In times like that, when the world is adrift, the answer is contend for the faith that was once delivered to the church. Okay, so what is the faith about? Number one, the faith, I want to talk to you about the motive of the faith. What motivated, motivated Almighty God to look at this world and do something about the conditions that were happening. And there's no greater verse of scripture that can describe the motivation of the faith 
than the familiar one that we know, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is the motivation of the faith. God was moved by his love for humanity so much that he sent into the world his own one and only son that he might give his life upon a rugged cross that you and I might know the love of God motivated by love. God show love. You see, this is the motivation of the whole of divine revelation. From Genesis to Revelation, it is rooted in this truth that God loves you. God loves you. Say it this morning. God loves me. God loves me. Doesn't matter how terrible you are. Doesn't matter how much you've messed up. Doesn't matter how much you've disappointed God. This morning he is reaching out to you in love. And that is the undergirding of the faith, my friend, that God loves you and I. Thirty lost, degraded sinners, but God saw us and he loved us. Here in his love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and gave himself for us. And even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. That is the motivation of the faith. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear that God loves you. First and greatest commandment is thou shalt love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and love your neighbor like yourself. For you see, love, the love of God for us. We love him, the scripture says, because he first loved us. And real Christianity is a relationship with Almighty God, a love relationship. What motivates you to serve God this morning? What motivates you? What should be the true motivation of your faith this morning and your service to God is because you love him. Everything else will fail. Everything else will blow away like dust in the wind. But that which is rooted in the love of God and the love for God will stand the test of time and eternity. Love the Lord. You see, we are the objects of God's love and we are the beneficiaries of God's love. The apostle John says, Behold what manner of love he has bestowed upon you the benefit that you should be the sons of God. You're a child of God this morning because of his love. Because of his love. You're beneficiaries of his love. Every one of you this morning. We are also possessors of God's love. Thank you. Thank you. I walked around. That's right. Clear the decks. <laughs> we are the possessors of God's love, for the Bible says his love is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's why divisions in the church is not of God. For love covers a multitude of offenses. 
We will get along together if we love God and his love is shed abroad in our hearts for each one so that we love one another. For love one another even as we love God for God is love, right? And if you know God, the Bible says, he but love it not, know it not, God, for God is love. And I've got to love you. Even sometimes if I'd like to punch you, who knows I've still got to love you. And that's hard. It really is. I better move on. Now I've got seven points to cover, okay? <laughs> the mystery of the faith. What is the mystery? Contend for the mystery of the faith. The mystery of godliness is great, the Apostle Paul says. And that word godliness there, that he uses in 1 Timothy 3 and 6, means the scheme of salvation. Most places in your Bible and godliness is mentioned, it means piety or characteristics of God being shown in your life. But here, it is about the faith, the old scheme of salvation. So great is the mystery of the faith. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. 1 Timothy 3 and 6. In one short word and sentence, my friend, the mystery of the faith is Jesus. We sang about him this morning. Jesus, no other name, no other one in the universe like him. He is the only one, Jesus, Jesus. We must exalt him and lift him up, the truth about him. You see, couched in the mystery of the faith is the virgin birth, is the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what is known in theology as the kenosis or the emptying out of his glory. Although he was equal with God, he made himself of no reputation, but took upon himself the form of a slave and condescended down, down from the glories of heaven and appeared here upon earth in the flesh. And John says in his gospel that one who was the word and was God in the beginning, and he was with God in the beginning, and he was God, and all things were created by him. And without him was not anything created that has been created. And that word, the Logos, out of eternity, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Jesus. Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. That's the mystery of the faith. Paul explains to the Ephesians the mystery of the church. He says it was hidden in the ages past, but has now been made known. But when he talks about the mystery of the faith, it is still a mystery. For no man, no man on earth can understand the mystery and the self-revelation of the Godhead. He is God. Above all, far beyond human comprehension, the God whom we serve Yahweh, the glorious God, praise his wonderful name. That's the mystery, that God himself became flesh in the person of Christ and dwelt among us. First chapters of the Bible, we hear the Lord God speaking 
and revealing himself as a moving, creating spirit in the first chapters of Genesis. We hear him saying, let us, let us make God in our image, in our likeness. We hear him saying, the man has now become like one of us. And we can understand that. But then we hear Moses a little later saying, the Lord, your God, is one. And yet God reveals himself as a plurality. And we Trinitarians, of course, refer to God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. Very biblical. But how can you understand that? I get kind of nervous when I hear people trying to explain the Godhead. In the last books, uh, chapters of Scripture, book of Revelation, John says in Revelation 5, 1 to 7, when John was weeping because there was no one to open the book of redemption for the earth, and he wept, and then when the, the angel said to him, don't weep anymore, look, there's one that is found worthy, and he says, I looked, and I saw a lamb standing in the midst of the throne, as it had been slain. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he said, the lamb went and took the book out of the one that sat upon the throne. And when he did, all of the elders and the oaths fell down before him and sang, you are worthy, O Lord, for you were slain to redeem us by your blood out of every tribe and every nation. One time a man was trying to defend his belief in oneness of, of the name, the, the oneness doctrine that you've heard about. And I quoted that passage of scripture to him. I said, please tell me who was sitting on the throne and who was the lamb that took the book out of the end of him that sat on the throne. I said, who was the lamb? He said, the lamb is Jesus, of course. And I said, who was sitting on the throne? He said, sir, I never saw that before. Yeah, the Lord God Almighty, my friend, don't you attempt to define the Godhead. He's greater than you. Hallelujah, he's beyond all human thinking. There's no theology on earth that can explain the Godhead. He is the Lord God Almighty. And like the angelic host this morning, let's fall down and worship him. Hallelujah. He is God and his ways as the heavens are higher than the earth. His ways are so much higher than the earth. Hallelujah. I'm going to have a job to get through this this morning. Let me talk to you for a minute about the metaphors of the faith. Mystery of the faith, the metaphors of the faith. A metaphor is defined as something that is used in a symbolic way to repre represent something else. For instance, the wind, the fire, the water is used as a, as a metaphor in Scripture for the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit. And so, Mether, what is the metaphors of the faith? The metaphors of the faith are the sacraments. As the Passover was in the heart of Israel's worship, so the sacraments are in our worship today, the worship of the church. Jesus, after celebrating the last Passover with the disciples, said, with eagerness, I've desired to eat this Passover with you. Why? Because at that Passover, he would institute a new covenant. 
And so he took the blood and he took the bread and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Hallelujah. Now it was not the literal blood of Jesus at that time for it was not yet shed. It is not the literal blood of Jesus that we take, but it is a metaphor. And we are told by the Apostle Paul that it is a remembrance that Jesus died for our sin. Every time you celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, it reminds you that Jesus died for your sin. And you have to acknowledge that. And so as we confess that he died for our sin, the blood of Jesus cleanses us. I'll talk to you a little bit about that later. But the blood of Jesus cleanses us. So it is a metaphor for the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he says, and you also look forward. You proclaim his death until he comes because you're looking forward to his coming. When Israel celebrates the Passover, every time they end by saying, next year in Jerusalem. Hallelujah. What does that say to us? Maybe the next time it's going to be around the marriage table of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Praise God. So the hope. But then the, the two sacraments of the church, of course, are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Passed on to the church by the Lord Jesus. They're called ordinances in the New Testament. Or things ordered by the Lord. Two commandments by the Lord for the church to observe. Two sacraments. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper and the sacrament of water baptism. And like the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, water baptism is a metaphor. Therefore, Jesus said, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Matthew 28 and 9. You see, the ordinances have no power in themselves. Their power and their significance is in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. In communion, we remember his death and resurrection. In baptism, we remember and identify with him in his death and resurrection. But baptism do not wash you from your sin. Baptism is the result of you being washed from your sin in the blood of Jesus. And you identify with him in his death. And so Paul says we are crucified with Christ and buried with him in baptism and signifies that we're walking with him in newness of life. Sunday evening, November the 20, I forget the date, 27, but anyway, in November, of 1957, I know I don't look that old, but I believe Jesus died for my sin and I received him as my savior. I became a new creation in Christ Jesus. It really happened that night. I needed nothing else. The blood of Jesus cleansed me, purified my temple, and the Holy Spirit came to dwell in me. That night, when I received Jesus, you cannot have Jesus and not have the Holy Spirit. The Lord our God is one. And so the Holy Spirit came to dwell within me that night. That night I, I died to sin. I was born again. That happened that Sunday night. 
powerful and wonderful, life-changing experience for me. On Tuesday evening, I was immersed into the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit already came to dwell in me, but Jesus said, you're going to be immersed into the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was in me, but I was not yet totally immersed in the Holy Spirit. On Tuesday evening, what we refer to in his biblical, I was baptized or immersed just as I was immersed in water and baptism. I was immersed, baptized into the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit came upon me. The calling of God was made real to me that night, but that's another story, what I'm telling you. But that happened two nights after I was saved. Changed my life, and that's why I'm here today. Six months later, we went to a beach in the Atlantic Ocean. Cold enough to freeze you, but it worked. Went to a beach and had a burial service. For that's what baptism is. When in the metaphor of the sacrament of baptism water, I publicly express what had already taken place in my life. The faith says it's the answering of a right conscience toward God. The blood of Jesus had purified my conscience, and now I was rid of a guilty conscience before God and before the world. And I declared it publicly. In the metaphor of baptism, I was buried in the water and I rose, saying that I was now going to walk in a new life in Christ. My buddies that were on the beach that day made fun of me. They said, it'll last you for six months. Well, it's over 60 years now. And it's still good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Let me go on to the message of the faith. What is the message of the faith and what time is it? I can't see the clock, so that's okay. The message of the faith. The message of the faith, my friend, is very simple. Let's not complicate it, please. Please, let's not get fads and formulas in the way and complicate the message of the faith for the message of his faith is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. No head-ons. Nothing else attached to it. That is saving faith, my friend. Simple, saving faith. To the thief on the cross who recognized the Lord Jesus as Lord, Jesus said to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. Luke 23 and 43. No baptisms, no sacraments, no keeping of church rules, no traditions. Just a simple expression of faith expressed in the words, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Hallelujah. And Jesus said, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. That's good enough for me. 
Hallelujah. If I'm going to be in paradise with Jesus because I believe, simply put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's good enough for me and is good enough for you as well this morning. You know, in the first beginning of Christianity, the Jewish leaders insisted that faith in Christ was not sufficient. They said believers have to be circumcised and keep the law. I thought that baptism is bad enough, but circumcision is worse. Yeah. You've got, you've got to be circumcised and keep the law. Acts chapter 15 and verse 5. But the apostle Peter and, and, and the apostle Paul vigorously defended the truth that salvation is true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Peter says, He, God, purified their hearts by faith, and why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers were able to bear? No, they said, it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ we are saved. And Paul went on to say in Acts 15, 9 and 11, there has been a righteousness from God apart from the law has now been made known. This righteousness comes from God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to all who believe. You hear it, church? Now for heaven's sake, don't well, attaching your legalistic stuff to that simple message of the gospel. Whosoever believeth in the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. You believe it this morning. A simple message of the faith. So don't get out there and try to tell people you've got to keep the Sabbath, you've got to be baptized, you've got to do all of this stuff in order to make heaven. No, you believe. In the Lord Jesus Christ. And the righteousness of God is imputed unto you, the righteousness of Christ, because he died for your sins. That's the message of the faith. That's the message. If you are here this morning and you have never placed your faith, you have never believed in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, you can do it this morning, my friend. And you will go out of this building ready for heaven. You don't have any other attachments. You don't have to, you then live by the faith. And the faith says, identify with Christ in baptism. And the faith says, you can be immersed in the Holy Spirit. But as, as you walk in obedience to him, as you walk in the faith. I don't know where we are time-wise, but... I try to get through here. But this is what the Lord has given me this morning. You see, when a preacher, when Pastor Paul gets up here on Sunday morning, or whoever with the word of God, I hope, what you see is the tip of the iceberg of prayerfully reflecting on what God would have you to bring. And we have an, a responsibility to deliver it, and you have a responsibility to live by it.
but you are free to judge it by the word of God. Judge everything that you hear and everything that people tell you by the faith that was delivered unto the saints. Yes, let us talk about the method of the faith. Jude ends his letter and says, Unto him who was able to present you before his glorious presence without fault. Wow. Without fault. God is able to present you before his glorious presence without fault. Jesus said that we should pray that we may be worthy to stand before the Son of God. There's coming a day when we will have to stand before God. Are you going to stand there without fault? I guarantee you won't stand there in your own name. I guarantee you I won't stand there without fault if I have to do it on my own merit. So the question is, how can God take a dirty sinner like Loyal Brooks. <laughs> yeah, how can God take a dirty sinner like me? Songwriter put it right. How can I, a child of hell, in his image shine? How can God do that? The answer is a very simple one. What is it? That's right, say it for me. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all sin. Isn't that beautiful this morning? The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, purifies me from all sin. That is the answer, my friend. That's what the faith gives us for the answer to sin. It is the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep it in your mind. And the word, the Apostle John tells us that if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, there's something that you don't see. That's why we're not to judge our brothers and sisters. Because there's something that we may see. You may see them doing wrong. But you see, what you don't see is the moment alone with God. When they get down before God and grieve for their sin and confess it, and even as you come to the throne of grace in the name of Jesus, the blood is applied. The blood is applied. You don't let the devil pile guilt on you for sins you've committed. If we say we have no sin, we're a liar. But if we confess it before God, and that's what we don't see, then the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And we are all new again in the presence of God. Isn't that wonderful? Well, a better wrap up here. Let me touch on the miraculous of the faith. The faith is miraculous from the beginning to the end. Miraculous. The miracles of the faith, of course, is the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ back into the heavenlies. The faith. Paul said the mystery of the faith is great because he appeared on earth in a body. 
He was crucified for our sins. And Jesus took that body that God gave him for the purpose of redemption back into the heavenlies. And he appears in the presence of God for us as our great high priest. <laughs> Hallelujah. And John says, I beheld him in the midst of a throne as a lamb that was slain. But the mystery, the miracle that God took him back into the heavenlies. And the Bible tells us that God is spirit. But Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives with his earthly body. A testimony to our resurrection, the miracles of the faith. Now I know that there are many, you know, and there's another side to that. The miracles of the virgin birth, the miracles of his death and his resurrection and all that. But we don't have time this morning. Then there's the miraculous of the faith. We are told to lay hands on the sick in the name of Jesus. Cast out demons in the name of Jesus. These signs shall follow them that believe. These are the miracles of the faith. But be careful how you handle it. The miracles of the faith. One of the frustrating things I've had as a pastor, let me tell you. I've been around for a while. And I've laid on my face before Almighty God and said, God, why? How many times have I left somebody whose body was wrecked with cancer in an hospital room and said, God, why? But I've had to walk away knowing that I am not God. I cannot perform miracles. I am just the gardener. Get what I'm saying this morning? There's no one here this morning that can perform miracles. There's no one here that can heal a sick body. If you're here this morning, leave and go to the hospital, will you? But however, the scripture says in my name, these signs shall follow those that believe. And if you look at the ministry of the Apostle Paul, all of these things that Jesus said would follow came to pass in Paul's life. And yet he never announced a healing service in his old ministry. Let me give you another, a man by the name of James, who gives us about one-third of the biblical revelation of the New Testament. He traveled with Paul through most of Paul's ministry. How do you think Luke felt when Paul shakes the viper off and he's supposed to die and nothing happened to him? And just like they do today, they say, oh, he's a great one, he's a, he's a god. No. He shakes off the viper, lays in on the sick, and they're recovered. Raises the guy from the dead. How do you think Luke felt? There's no record that he ever saw any deliverance. But I'll tell you something that he fulfilled. He gave us about one-third of the New Testament. And the reason we have a record of what Paul did my Bible study group here this morning are saying amen. The reason why we have the record in the New Testament is because Luke was there and faithfully recorded everything. That was the ministry that God gave him, you see. 
I'm saying to you this morning, you're a miracle of the grace of God, my friend. Doesn't matter if you ever lay hands on the sick and they recover. That may not be your gifting, for the Bible clearly tells us. The Bible says miracles and healings are gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it says to another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, workers of miracles. All those, and, to, and also those who have the gifts of healing. But then the question is, but do all have the gifts of miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Don't try to put square plugs in round holes, or you may have to create the miracle for yourself. And I've been around long enough, and I could tell you this morning the extremes that I have had to deal with, but I want. They've always been there in the church, but thank God since the beginning of the church. If you read Sage, Sage Magazine last issue, Herb Barber, who was now 95 years old and still preaching the gospel, but when his mom was 13 years old, 13 years old, she was dying. The doctor had packed her in ice because of ruptured appendicitis, and it wasn't like it is today. You couldn't get an hospital. And she was dying, and all the family passed by her and said goodbye to her 13-year-old. And then Herb, Barbara's grandfather, knelt by her bed and said, God, deliver my daughter. And God touched her and raised her up. Hallelujah. And her barber was born later to her. It was his mother. And at 95, he's still preaching the gospel. Do you know what the book of Hebrews says? That God confirms his word by signs and wonders and diverse miracles of the Holy Spirit. But listen to the next words according to the will of God. I am not God and you are not God. There's some things that I don't understand in the sovereign will of God, but he is the sovereign God and I worship him. And I worship him. He, might, he may not do everything I ask him to do, but I worship him because he is God. Okay, musicians, you have time for another song. The last item, and I know you're glad. That's okay, the Lord is long-suffering, but you are not. <laughs> the Maranatha of the faith. Paul closes his writing uh, to uh, the Corinthians with the Aramic word Maranatha. It was used by the early church as a greeting, Maranatha. What does it mean? The Lord cometh. The Lord cometh. The Lord cometh. I remember as a young man hearing a bunch of Pentecostals that was just new then. The open air service, a quiet Sunday morning. And we had a loudspeaker up, and they were singing, He's coming soon. And I said, What are, what are they talking about? I never heard about it before. But something touched my heart. Many years later, I became a Christian. 
He's coming soon. That, my friend, is the Maranatha of the faith. The Apostle Paul closes his letter, the Lord cometh. The last promise in the Bible is the Lord cometh. The last prayer of the Bible is even so, come Lord Jesus. Will you stand this morning and thank God for the faith uh, and, and just look to the Lord and say, Lord, make me ready for that day, the hope of the faith. Believe it this morning. Live by the faith, the whole faith, nothing but the faith. Motive, the love of God, the message, believe on the Lord Jesus, the mystery, the word became flesh, the method, the atoning blood of Jesus, the metaphors, the sacraments, the miracles, diverse miracles and giftings of the Holy Spirit. The hope of the faith, the Lord is coming. Do you believe it this morning? The Lord is coming. Do you believe it? Folks, that's the hope of the confusion, the mess that is in the world this morning, the suffering, the violence, the bloodshed. That is the answer to the suffer for the suffering saints this morning who are dying by the thousands. The Lord is coming. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Father, help us, Lord, in this day. Oh God, when there is so much confusion, there's so many winds. As Jude said, Lord, so many things that are scattered about. Lord, help us to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered by you, Lord Jesus, unto your church. Help us to be keepers of the faith and to live by the faith and to look for the coming of Jesus. Amen. The rest of the time is your time. The altars are open if you want to be prayed for. James gives us the guidance for healing in the church and says, if there's any sick among you, let them call for the pastors of the church, the elders of the church. Let them anoint them with oil and pray over them in the name of the Lord Jesus. You're here this morning and you want prayer. Of you here this morning and you want to believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sin. The altars are open this morning. We invite you. God bless you and God love you. Amen. <laughs> Praise you, Jesus. Simon, worship him. <laughs>